my father, Brad Gilliland, is going to come and he is going to uh, be teaching our adult Bible class this morning. And so uh, let's have our ushers come and we're going to take up an offering. And then as they take that up, uh, we're going to have him come up and uh, he's going to be teaching our class this morning. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. Lord, we are so blessed to be in your house today. God, this is uh, such a time that we uh, are here, Lord, for uh, the uh, opportunity to impact your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that you would do so by the giving of your people today. Lord, that you would bless both the gift and the giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you come up at this time? I'm so thankful for my dad. I missed him on Father's Day last week, but uh, I'm so thankful to be uh, that he is able to teach us here this morning. Amen. I am thankful to have my pastor back home. Amen. Can anybody say amen? Truly, we're missed. Amen. But I also want to just give a shout out to those ministers who did teach and said, I tell you, we are blessed, people. We are blessed. Uh, Josh has just done a phenomenal job. I know he's gone this weekend down to Memphis, I believe it is. Uh, Caleb, last week, that message for Father's Day, I, I, I just feasted on that all week long. I, I just love that message. Brother Dave always does a fantastic job. We're blessed. Amen. We are blessed. God takes care of us. Amen. Today's lesson uh, is about the crucifixion, and, and it's really about the thieves that were beside him. But, but we're going to get into, we're gonna, I'm going to read both in Matthew and in Luke the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. Because um, that's the thing about the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They, they tell stories of the life of Jesus, basically, and... They all have different views or different ways of telling the story. Uh, we'll see some differences here a little bit. Uh, how Matthew see, you know, tells the story and, and then how Luke uh, retells the story. So if you have your Bible, you can follow along. Matthew chapter 27. We're gonna st- I'm going to start here in verse 33. It says, And when they were come in, unto a place called Gagatha, that is to say, a place of a skull. They gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, which this vinegar ming, uh, mingled with gall was, was really a painkiller. And so and when they got to the place where the crucifixion would take, take place, they gave him this, uh, they, they tried to give it to him, and it says, and, and when he had tasted of it, it thereof, he would not drink. He didn't want... You know, he didn't even want anything that would, you know, take, take the pain away. It says, And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among, among them, and upon my vestures did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head the, his accusations written, This is Jesus king of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. 
And they passed by, and they that passed by rivaled him, wagging their heads, which was at that time a great form of ridicule or making fun of someone. And saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him, and the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over, over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood by, stood there, when they heard that, said, This man called for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let it let be. Let us see whether Elias will come and save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. So this is Matthew's uh, description of the story. And we can go to Luke chapter 23. And starting there in verse 32 through 46. And this, this account reads, and there, also, and there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. Malefactors is another name for criminals. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with him derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. And saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. 
And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I command my spirit. And having thus, he gave up the ghost. So in these two different stories of the same thing, we see Luke, he goes into and talks about the thieves on the cross and how the one thief seen that this was the Son of God. Matthew didn't, he, he probably, you know, he probably was just telling the story of the crucifixion rather than getting into some of the other details. But that's, what's, that's what I like about the, the, the four Gospels and why, you know, we can read all of them and, and see some different things that one maybe didn't point out. But here, in this story, uh, Jesus was crucified, which at the time, that time, actually in all time, is probably the worst death anybody could, could go through. The worst torture, the worst persecution that anyone could. Because it, it takes quite some time for a person to die that way. And, and everybody coming by, what they would do is they would, put, uh, they would put the place where they would crucify them along the road coming into the town into the, the main road coming into town. And then that way the people would pass by all day long and they would see the crime. You know, they, they put the sign up there and say, it would tell the crimes that they did. And, and people would see that. And, they, and basically Rome was saying, if, this, if you do this, this is what's going to happen to you. It was, a, it was a fear factor. It was a thing to put fear into the people to, to not be... Uh, one of these hideous criminals. And so, so they would put him there, and people would come by, and they would make fun of them. They would spit on them. They would do all kinds of things, uh, just persecuting those who were going through this death, really. And so in the final moments of Jesus' life here on earth, the holiest man, and I say man because he was a man, Jesus was a man, who had ever lived, died between two convicted criminals as if he himself were a sinful lawbreaker. Luke called these two men who were with him malefactors or criminals. A general term for a criminal, uh, Matthew called them thieves. Since Jesus was crucified between them, he was placed... (coughs) Between them, it perhaps uh, would have caused those who came by to think that Jesus was the worst of all of them. And really, the only crime that Rome uh, even thought anything of was the fact that they were calling him king of the Jews. And anyone else in the kingdom who would be called a king would be pretty much a threat to Pilate or a threat to the kingdom. And so that was the only crime that they could... I mean, Pilate even, he came, you know, during the trial, Pilate came and he washed his hands. He says, 
I see no just cause for this man to be put to death. He says, but, you know, you demand it, so we're going to do it. (coughs) So Jesus appears to everyone. They, they, They perceive that he's the worst criminal of all, being in the middle. So from the earliest hours of the morning until Jesus had died around 3 p.m., Three in the afternoon, the crowd continually mocked and abused Jesus. The Roman soldiers mocked him by wrapping a scarlet robe around him, shoving a crown of thorns on his head, and placing a reed in his hand like a scepter. They actually played games with him, making it look like, oh, you're this king, and they bowed before him, making fun of him. They pretended to honor him by kneeling before him, saying, hail, king of the Jews. They mercifully scourged him, or mercilessly scourged him, and then they crucified him. You see, it was the Roman soldiers and the Jewish population who were really responsible for the death of Jesus. And we we might think, well, that's just terrible and horrible, and and, and the death, the, the crucifixion was. But, you know, it was all in God's plan from the beginning. It was all in his plan. And we're going to read about that. Or we're going to talk about that a little bit into our lesson here. So while Jesus was pouring out his love for all humanity, as he was dying, on, dying for all of our sins, even dying for the people who hated him and murdered him, people still mocked and blasphemed him. They should have honored him and loved him, especially since he was dying for them. Matthew transcribed their actual blasphemous words. And this is what he said in verse 39. He said, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple, buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross likewise also. And the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and the elders, said, and saved, and he saved others himself. He cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and he will, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. You see, the Jewish population did this in ignorance. And the the reason I say they did it in ignorance is because they should have known that he was the Messiah. They should have known because there was prophecies in the Old Testament, all kinds of prophecies that showed. And I I could go, I could read a, a whole slew of prophecies that showed the coming Messiah. And, and truthfully, Exactly what they were doing at this very moment was prophesied. All these things were prophesied. You see, Jesus, his actual purpose for coming to this world as a a man, his actual purpose was that he would die and pay our debts. You see, all through time, ever since the Garden of Eden and the, the the sin that happened. Ever since sin happened in the garden, there was only one way that sin could be 
forgiven or remitted or taken away. And that was something had to die. In that case, uh, an animal of some kind died and Jesus or, and God took uh, the animal's skin and made coverings for, for Adam and Eve. Made clothing for them to cover their nakedness. But all through time, we, and we, we see in the old uh, Israelite, uh, their, their sacrifices and things that they did. There was always an animal. An innocent animal died for the guilty. Them, those sacrifices were done to, to cover the sin of the people. They had to bring their, their uh, lamb, their, their, their bull, whatever it was that they were to bring. They had to bring it every year. But Jesus, the perfect man, a man with no sin, he actually took on our sin, the Bible says. He took on our sin. And he bore on that cross and died. It was a perfect lamb, without blemish. He was was the perfect lamb. The crowd and the soldiers, they shook their head in scorn. They blasphemed Jesus for actual truths. But they didn't realize it. Jesus was indeed the Son of God, the Savior, the King of Israel, someone who trusted in God. And he was accepted by God more than anyone else. But the mockers, they were blind to those truths. They claimed if Jesus would come down from that cross and save himself, they would believe in him, since saving himself would prove He really was the Son of God, the Savior, the King of Israel. But Jesus could only truly be their Savior if he refused to save himself. You see, he could only be their Savior if he died for their sin. This world will always try to tell you how you're to do something. Today, so much pressure on how you should even think. They're trying to control how we think. They're trying to control our actions, everything we do. It was no different then. They were trying to tell Jesus how he could prove. When he had already proven they'd seen all of his marvelous works he had done. They'd seen, they'd heard his teachings, they'd they, do, they knew all these things, but yet they still refused him. They didn't understand that Jesus died so we can live. How should that make us feel toward him? That he died for you and me. How should we feel about that? See, after nailing Jesus to the cross, the Roman soldiers nailed a sign above Jesus' head on which they wrote, he, he was accused of, of what he was accused of. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. That was the only thing they could come up with. When someone was crucified, that charge against that person was first written down on a sign, and the criminal would carry it or, 
or it was hung around their neck. And finally, that sign would be fixed on the cross that they were hung on, intending to deter anyone who was thinking about committing the same crime. The Romans were saying, do this, and this is what will be done to you. The sign above Jesus was intended to be sarcastic. Neither the Jews nor the Romans were affirming that Jesus, as the king of the Jews, rather they were professing that the Roman rule, Romans rule the Jews and what the Roman power will do to anyone claiming to be a king or a rival to Caesar. <coughs> Both the Romans and the Jews, they mocked Jesus because neither one of them understood his kingship. You see, the Jews, the Jewish uh, population at that time, they believed that, Jesus, that the Messiah was going to come and take care of Rome for them. That's really, that's what they thought. They, we get a perception sometimes in our mind of what God, you know, what the purpose of God in this is. Sometimes we totally miss it. We need to be in this word because in this word we will find Jesus' purpose in everything in our lives. So they, they totally missed it. They thought he was going to come and, and free them from the bondage of Rome. And really, all, his, whole, his whole kingship was about free from sin, freedom from death. Because, because what, what does sin bring forth? Bring forth death. So, so in order to evade death, there was only one remedy, and that was a perfect sacrifice, which was Jesus. Which was Jesus. Jesus had not come to rival Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, or a, or a rival to Caesar himself. But did not, Jesus did not come to overthrow them or establish a Jewish monarchy to throw off the yoke of the Roman rule. But one day Jesus will come again and he will be king over all the earth. And then he will overthrow all those who who oppose are opposed to God and his people. But in the first century in the land of Israel, Jesus came to die on the very cross. as So many others thought discredited him. You see, the, the Jew of that day thought because he died just like the criminals. They thought that he must not be this Messiah that we were always looking for. Jesus' own people did not accept or honor him because of the cross. However, his followers accepted and honored him because of the cross and the price that he had paid for us there. To the Jews, the cross made Jesus repugnant and unworthy of their faith. But the cross makes Jesus beautiful and praiseworthy to us. Thanks to his love on Calvary's cross, I will choose to worship him as my savior and king. You see, our right response is to give thanks to him as our savior. And to bow a knee in worship to him as our king and our Lord. Worship is not just words of praise, although that is a very essential part of worship. 
But worship is expressed in our actions, in the lives that we live devoted to him and following his word. How could we do anything less in light of the cross? What he went through for us. How could we do anything less but to give him some praise? To live our lives according to the way that he asked us to live. When we think, sometimes we think it's hard to be a Christian. You know, when I occasionally think that, you know, sometimes this is hard. I remind myself, this is nothing compared to what he went through. This is nothing. You're talking about the most horrific death itself, let alone having people there making fun of you, making accusations to you. If you're really the son of God, do this, do that. They're making demands of you. And yet he sat there and just took it all. What they were saying was, prove it. That sound familiar today? (laughs) Seems like everything we do, people are like, well, prove it. Well, Jesus really had already proven it. They just didn't want to accept it. He had proved it. If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. That's what, that's what one of the thieves said. Save yourself and us. Prove it to us. That thief, he lobbied for Jesus to save himself and both criminals crucified with him. In other words, if you are the Messiah, our Savior, King, get to saving. If you are... If you have so much power, start using it. Start with yourself and then save us too. But if that is not but that is not how we should approach God. If we want salvation, we don't demand Jesus prove himself to us. We don't bring our arrogance while ignoring our sins and making demands of him, people, we are nothing compared to him. We can't bring our arrogance and say this or that, you do this, you do this, and then I'll, then I'll consider it. No. We're talking about the creator of this world, really. And yet he came and he, he, he went through this horrific death for you and me to cover our sin. So we must have, we must choose humility when approaching Jesus for forgiveness. We come humbly before him. We profess him to be our savior. And we recognize his greatness and grace in dying for us. We must recognize our sin. Our sin. Nailed is what nailed him 
to that cross. You think about that. It wasn't just something that he had to go through. It was because we have sin in our life that Jesus had to go through what he did. This reminds me of the scriptures. I can't remember what book it's even in. Where he talks about, where uh, Paul talks about, we crucify Jesus afresh when we continue to sin and do it over and over and over. What you're really doing is you're putting him back on that cross. He's feeling the pain every time you do that. Because he desires that you are free from sin. So it is so important that we do our best and not continue to to live in our sin and continue to do it over and over and over. We make no demands of him because he doesn't owe us anything. There at the cross, we humbly bow and confess our sins because only the humble and repentant heart really finds forgiveness. Second Corinthians 5 and 21 says that Jesus, or says he, became sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He took on our sin. In a remarkable turn of events, one of the two thieves had a change of heart. At first, he mocked and he insulted Jesus. We read that there in in Matthew, the Matthew account. He says that they, which included both of them, they both mocked him. But he had a change of heart. While he was nailed on to his own cross, the second thief came to realize who Jesus really was. He realized in a mystery, which is somehow belief enters into one person's heart, but not into another. It's a mystery how God comes and speaks to us. Second Peter 3.9 teaches us that it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. But God does not force us, force his will to prevail or to force us to believe. He's not going to make you do anything. It's going to be your choice. It's going to be by your action that it's done. He's not going to make you. He will move on us with his spirit to bring us to a place where we can believe. But in the secret place of the human heart, one allows the spirit complete, to complete his work while another doesn't. On Calvary that day, one of the criminals respond, responded to the spirit's work in his heart. How many times have people, maybe, maybe even we've done this, you or me, you feel a call, or you have felt God's call in your life. You've felt drawn to Him, and yet you didn't respond. You see, the question is how can a multitude of people hear the same message 
or encounter Jesus the same way. Yet one believes and another remains hardened and in unbelief. And I would just add just a little bit of my own thoughts in there. When, we t- when you, you talk about unbelief, if we know God's word and what he asks of us and what he wants us to do and we don't do it, really it's unbelief. Because if you believe it, you will follow it. If you believe, if you truthfully believe this word, you will follow it. But that that question, how how can two people hear the same thing and yet one person believes it and another doesn't? It's because one person responds and I believe the other person, they see it, they know it, and they don't respond. Don't be one of those who had a chance. I believe it was Paul. I can't remember who it was. He was he was basically preaching to, he was talking to, and he was telling his testimony, really. And he says, almost thou persuadest me. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. Almost will not get you into heaven. It won't get you into the kingdom. He admitted his own guilt. And he turned to Jesus for mercy. It says, Luke recorded the conversation between these two criminals. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. In other words, we deserve this, is what he was saying to the other criminal. We, we deserve this, but this man hath done nothing amiss. He realized that Jesus had done nothing worthy of death, but yet Jesus, he, he allowed it. Yes, he could have stopped it, but he didn't because he knew that was his purpose of coming. This rebuke must have shocked the mocking thief, the one who was making fun of him. Maybe he noticed his criminal counterpart had stopped insulting Jesus, but he had no idea the Spirit of God was working on the other thief to bring him to faith in Jesus. The Spirit was causing him to truly recognize his own sin and that he was guilty and deserving of death, but Jesus was not. He realized he was guilty, but Jesus wasn't guilty of anything. In a moment of divine revelation, the Spirit led one of the thieves to see Jesus as the Savior and King and to see his need to be saved. This amazing grace and miraculous faith enabled him to turn to Jesus for salvation. God's Spirit brought him to faith and repentance as he cried cried out to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And without hesitation, Jesus received the thief into a right relationship with him. 
Jesus replied, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Luke 23, 43 says, In a moment, the thief's, the thief's sins were gone. And he was forgiven. He was saved and ready to enter paradise. Jesus, the holy God of glory, who had never done anything wrong, and a thief who seemingly had not done anything right, except to cry out to Jesus for mercy. And that was enough. We don't know exactly how long that thief or child of God, we could call him now. We don't know how long he lingered in life on that cross before he died. But knowing his death was not the end. That he would soon be with Jesus in paradise certainly would have helped ease his pain, I think. Who would have mind anyhow? He likely continued to suffer physically until his lungs expelled their last, their, their final labored breath and his eyes closed in death. But in that moment of release, he opened up his eyes in the world beyond and saw Jesus. Not the battered and broken Jesus he had seen on the cross, but the Lord of glory in shining splendor who gladly welcomed him into his presence. You see, this is what you would call a deathbed repentance. It's really what it is. It was at, the, at his death. And some people can be offended by that because I have had to live my whole life doing this and this and, I, and obeying this word. And, and that, yet this man, he comes in at his last breaths of life and, and, uh, and he's... He's with, he's with God in paradise. And so some people can be offended by that. So why do we feel like we have to earn our right to be saved? It's not, it's not a right. It's a gift. It's a gift that he gives to us. We can't do anything. We can't do any good works. Anything we do in life is not going to earn our salvation. But it's by the gift of God that we have it. It's by receiving him, believing in him. And some, some would say, well, the thief wasn't baptized in Jesus' name. We see in the New Testament that you have to be baptized in Jesus' name. You have to... You have to be filled and baptized with the Spirit of the Holy Ghost. And he didn't, he didn't do these things. We don't see any evidence of that. Well, truthfully, all that is the new covenant. And the new covenant did not take place until the day of Pentecost. So, so this, this time we're talking about is still in the old covenant. The covenant with Moses. And Abraham, it was a covenant before what we have today. What Jesus did, his death, took away our sin. His death took away our sin. 
that we might be like him. It wasn't until the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God was poured out. Yes, we we can read in the Old Testament where it says the Spirit of God was upon different people. In fact, uh, right close to this time here, it says that John, his cousin John, before he was even born, it says, says the babe leaped within his mother. Because he was, he was uh, full of the Holy Ghost. In fact, there's another, there's another story where it talks about that same exact instance. Where it talks about, uh, what's John's mother? Elizabeth? It says, Elizabeth. It says she received the Holy Ghost. At that, at that same exact moment. Because she was so joyed and she seen, she, her eyes were open, I believe, to who this really was that Mary had come and, and told her what had happened. And she, she was so excited. And that's why John left, because he was excited. He heard the same thing. Anyhow, so, so yes, that, this is back in the Old Testament, in the, in the first covenant. So, So what does that mean for us today? What wondrous grace Jesus offered for this criminal if people believe they can have forgiveness because of their sins are so great or if they think it is too late for them to come to the Lord, we can point them to this former thief who now lives in eternity with Jesus in paradise. His sins were great. He even blasphemed Jesus on the cross, yet God God's grace was greater, and Jesus still forgave him. Since he lived and died before Jesus died on Calvary and rose from the grave, the thief was saved immediately upon faith and repentance. But when Jesus poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, he inaugurated a brand new covenant, a brand new covenant for believers. Our experience with Jesus beautifies and builds our faith of repentance as it leads us to the covenant relationship with Jesus through water baptism in Jesus' name and being adopted into God's holy family through the indwelling Holy Spirit. For those who have sinned and run from God all their lives, God is always willing to save. Even at the end of our lives, as death draws near, Jesus is ever ready to save us. We must yield to the work of His Spirit and turn to Him in repentance so that we can be born of the water and of the Spirit. We too can hear Jesus say, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. God's grace and mercy are so much greater than we can imagine. This experience Uh, The repentant thief gives us a glimpse of how limitless God's grace really is. The Lord takes great pleasure in saving those whose sins and failures were particularly abundant. We see that in the former thieves, in, in this former thief, now a child of God. We also see God's grace in Simon Peter, who denied 
that he even knew Jesus after the crowd arrested the Lord. We see it in Paul, who hated Jesus and tried to destroy the church. God saved both of them and raised them up to be great leaders in the church, in the early church. God saved both of them as saints. We see God's great grace in Mary Magdalene who sinned so much that she had become possessed by seven demons. No one is too bad. Nothing you can do has been too bad. No, we can't earn it on our own. We have to come to Him and allow Him to baptize us with His Spirit. Our part is to come to Him in water and ask His forgiveness of our sins in water. But the question today is, which thief are we like? Because we've all sinned. We're all guilty of death. Are we going to be the one who says, prove it to me, God. Prove it that I have to do all these things. Prove it that you are who you are. Say you are. And then I'll believe you. Or do we come humbly like the other thief? He received his reward. You can receive yours too. If we have a repentant heart. If we, if we follow the call of the Spirit. Spirit, when the Spirit moves on you. When it speaks to you in your heart. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. go into that song. Love came down and rescued you, me. Love came down and Hallelujah. set me free. I am yours. Yes. I am forever yours. Hallelujah. Mountain high or valley low, I sing yeah. out and remind my soul. I am yours. I am crucifixion story you know sometimes we reserve it just for a season just for that Easter season when we when we are thinking about the cross and we're thinking about uh, what Jesus did and what he went through and and that's the time when we when we address the, the two thieves that are up on the cross next to him but the reality is that each and every one of us 
we are we are the ones who should be up on the cross we are the ones who he says that i died for your sins i took your place up on that cross and i am so thankful for his forgiveness that has been extended to me i am so thankful for his forgiveness that has been poured out upon me and if you're thankful for that today that we have forgiveness an opportunity for forgiveness in his house today would you just put your hands together amen god i thank you oh god i thank you oh god praise his name praise his name amen amen if we could have our ushers come this morning we are going to take up our offering today and uh as they come i just want to say welcome to everybody who is here today, whether this is your first time or uh, or this is your home church, we want to say that we are so glad that you have uh, made it here to New Life Apostolic Church this morning. I believe that God has great things in store for this service today, and uh, we're going to give unto the Lord. And so if we could just bow our heads, we're just going to uh, pray a prayer of blessing upon this offering. Lord, we are so thankful that we can come into your house, Lord, and that we can give. And uh, I believe that you will bless a cheerful giver. And so today, God, let us give cheerfully to your kingdom, that your kingdom may be blessed, God, that your kingdom may be expanded, and that you would bless both the gift and the giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, as they re- take up the offering today, if you can fo- focus your attention up to the screen, we do have some video announcements. Every Saturday at 6 o'clock, the church is open for a time of prayer. But we would really like to highlight the third Saturday of the month as a time for unity prayer, where we can get as many people here for that time where we can bind together for the needs of the church and our community. Let's make this the house of prayer. Connect classes are starting back up on June 14th, and we're super excited. We're going to be doing a book club again this year. The book is A Word to the Broken by Victor Jackson. The book is $15. If you're interested, sign up on the announcement board. Good morning. Men's Ministry is having a blessing day. First Saturday of every month at 930. Men gather at the church, and we have prayer for half an hour. We're going to pray for God to lead us to people that we can bless in the community. Um, And we don't know what this is going to look like. We're not going to put a box on God. um, But it might be something small. It might be prayer, a bottle of water. Or it could be something, you know, something larger. Let's let God lead us into areas where we can bless others. Mark your calendars. July 2nd will be our church picnic. We will be heading to Albion at Hidden Diamond Park. They have several things there to do. They have a kid's splash pad, so bring extra clothes for the kids. They have a baseball field. Uh, We will be doing kickball. The church, once again, will provide the meat. You will just need to bring a side and a dessert. 
This year we will have a sign-up sheet for you to mark what you're bringing. So please sign up as soon as you know. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. We will be meeting there at 11 o'clock for service. And then following service, we will participate in games and we will have a great time of fellowship. Saturday, July 15th from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m., New Life would love to host a rummage sale. In order to do this, we need at least 10 people to sign up to be vendors. The spots are a 10 by 12 spot and the cost is $35. If you want to do this, please sign up as soon as possible so that we know we have at least 10 people signed up. We would love to have the Well Coffee Shop open serving breakfast and lunch. And we also have a few other ideas to make this event huge and successful and a great outreach day. If you have any questions, please reach out to Sister Tara. do want to reiterate that one announcement, which is for next Sunday, we have an exciting day that uh, we will not be meeting here in Kittenville, here at New Life, but instead we will be going to Hidden Diamond Park in Albion, and that's where our church picnic is going to take place. And so at 11 o'clock, uh, we are going to meet, and uh, that's where we will have our service time uh, will begin, and then uh, we will go from... Uh, service, which is taking place right there at the park, uh, into a uh, time of fellowship and food. And we have a sign-up sheet. We would love uh, for you just to sign up, let us know what you're bringing. Even if you don't do that, we still want you to bring some food. And uh, we're just going to partake in uh, time of fellowship. And they have all kinds of things. If you are into disc golf, they have a great disc golf course out there. So uh, we would love for you to join us in a little tournament for that. And uh, we're going to have a great great weekend uh, next next Sunday. Uh, we do have uh, Brother Caleb. Here he is. I know he had one other announcement for our students and parents uh, here this morning. So super, super quick. I sent out a message uh, to all parents. If you have a student going to uh, NAYC in July, we're going to do a really, really quick meeting uh, after service. It'll be 10 minutes tops unless you guys have a bunch of questions and it'll be however long it uh, takes to answer those questions. But one thing that we are going to talk about in that meeting is not next Sunday, because we won't be here, but the following Sunday after that, July 9th, we are going to be doing a dessert auction uh, for our Activate students. So two reasons that we have this up here. One, we need volunteers to donate maybe a, a carrot cake or a gross brownies, perhaps. Uh, get some fan favorites in there, but also... Um, this, you guys have been awesome at blessing our students all throughout this summer um, through multiple fundraisers. But this one in the past, you guys have been awesome. Um, and we just want to get the word out. That way uh, we can help get our students to North American Youth Congress. So thank you guys um, and come ready for some desserts. Right. These past two weeks, uh, me and my family and uh, we've had several other volunteers uh, that have been down at, at youth camps. And I want to just say a great big thank you to each and every one of them uh, who have served over these past couple of weeks. One in particular. Yeah, let's put our hands together. I guess I shouldn't, I shouldn't say one in particular because they all played.